And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today we're going to talk about and kind of piggyback off what we talked about last week when it comes to happiness and and how we're seeing that decrease in our society and in our culture and, and why we need to uh, maybe, I don't know, do something about it and, and make some adjustments in uh, in our neighborhoods and in our communities and with our friends and family. And there's a piece over at Washington Post that that I want to bring to your attention. And, it, and it's a, a, an opinion piece by Bryce Ward. And, and the, the reason why I'm talking about this, you may be saying, well, why are you not talking about abortion and life? And look, all these things are, are connected. So whether we're talking about legislative issues of the day around the country, legislative issues in Washington, uh, life and abortion issues that are happening around the country, the fact remains that, that we are a society and a culture that is, that is not only divided, you know, maybe some would say more divided than, than ever, or at least since the Civil War, but we're a culture and society that is, that is living in isolation. We have a large segment of our population living alone. Uh, they don't have, they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving with anybody. They don't have friends. They don't have, uh, relationships. Now, some of that is their own choosing. Uh, some of that is, is a number of different things, but, but that is not sustainable. It's just not. And there's a piece over at Washington Post by Bryce Ward, and it's entitled, Americans are choosing to be alone. And here's why we should reverse that. It says, the COVID-19 pandemic wrecked havoc on our social lives. Cancellations, closures, and fear of a potentially deadly infection led us to hunker down and avoid acquaintances, co-workers, and extended family. Time spent with friends went down. Time spent alone went up. Thanksgiving was not spared. Americans spent 38% less time with friends and extended family over the Thanksgiving weekend in the past two years than they had a decade prior. And now, for the scarier news, our social lives were withering dramatically before COVID-19. Between 2014 and 2019, time spent with friends went down. And time spent alone went up by more than it did during the pandemic. Americans 15 and older are spending a lot more time alone than they did in 2013. The trend started before the pandemic. According to the Census Bureau, the amount of time the average American spent with friends was stable at six and a half hours per week between 2010 and 2013. Then in, in 14, time spent with friends began to decline. By 2019, the average Americans was spending, uh, the average American was spending only four hours per week with friends, a sharp 37% decline from five years before. Social media, political polarization, and new technologies all played a role in the drop. It is notable that market penetration for smartphones crossed 50% in 2014. And that's kind of when the decline started. So, so look, when, when, when old, uh, fuddy duds like me say, hey, social media and smartphones may be the death of the society as we know it. That's not just me being a curmudgeon. That is data that backing it up. You, you, you crossed over the 50% mark with smartphone usage in 2014. And what have we seen? Society has got lonelier. People are spending more time alone. So we're the most connected we've ever been through social media, through cell phones. Through, through every avenue, we're the most connected we'd ever, we've ever been. We're, we've progressed more than, than anyone could have ever dreamed or imagined in society. 
yet we are the loneliest, most depressed, most medicated society the world has ever seen. COVID then deepened this trend. During the pandemic, time with friends fell further. In 2021, the average American spent only two hours and 45 minutes a week with close friends, a 58% decline relative to 2010 to 2013. Similar declines can be seen even when the definition of friends is expanded to include neighbors, coworkers, and clients. The average American spent 15 hours per week with this broader group of friends a decade ago, 12 hours a week in 2019, and only 10 hours a week in 2021. On average, Americans did not transfer that lost time to spouses, partners, or children. Instead, they chose to be alone. So it isn't as if, hey, we're... We're just not going to spend time with friends, coworkers. I can work from home now. I can, I can work from anywhere. So yeah, I'm not spending all that time with, with friends and coworkers and neighbors, but I'm spending all that time with family, with spouses, with kids. No, no, the data is showing that we didn't simply replace who we were spending time with. We were choosing to be alone. So, so as you see those hours decline, it's, declining in people going into alone time over all else. No single group drives this trend. Men and women, white and non-white, rich and poor, urban and rural, married and unmarried, parents and non-parents all saw proportionally similar declines in time spent with others. The pattern holds for both remote and in-person workers. So think about this. We, you know, you, you can't say, well, it's the, you know, it's the suburban folks. Oh, well, it's the rural communities. Oh, it's the urban folks. Oh, it's white people, black people, Hispanic people, Asian. No, well, what this data shows is it's everybody across the board, rich, poor. Doesn't matter the color of the skin. Doesn't matter what they do for a living. Doesn't matter if they work in office or remote. The loneliness numbers are increasing for everyone. The percentage decline is also similar for young and old. However, given how much time young people spend with friends, the absolute decline among Americans aged 15 to 19 is staggering. Relative to 2010-2013, the average American teenager spent approximately 11 fewer hours with friends each week in 2021, a 64% decline, and 12 additional hours alone, a 48% increase. These new habits are startling and a striking departure from the past. Just a decade ago, the average American spent roughly the same amount of time with friends as Americans in the 60s or 70s, but we have now begun to cast off our connections to each other. It is too soon to know the long-term consequences of this shift, but it seems safe to assume that the decline of our social lives is a worrisome development. Spending less time with friends is not a best practice by most standards, and it might contribute to other troubling social trends, isolation, worsening mental health, particularly among adolescents. Rising aggressive behavior and violent crime. Americans rate activities as more meaningful and joyful when friends are present. Friends and social connections build on themselves and produce memories and fellowship. They also boost health and lead to better economic outcomes. We can hope as COVID-related barriers recede that people will change course. Time with friends did increase in 2021 after the vaccine rolled out. However, at the end of 21, it was still an hour below the 2019 level. Furthermore, a Pew Research Center survey made public in August suggests that COVID might have changed us permanently. 35% of Americans say that participating in large gatherings, going out, and socializing in person have become less important since the pandemic. 
The potential harms of these trends are sufficient to demand that Americans devote some resources to understanding and reversing them. You can help reverse these trends today without waiting for the researchers and policymakers to figure it all out. It's the holidays. Don't skip Thanksgiving with your family. Of course, we just came off Thanksgiving. Hopefully you didn't skip it. Go to that holiday party or throw one yourself. Go hang out with friends for coffee, a hike, or a museum, or a concert, whatever. You will feel better. Create memories, boost your health, stumble across valuable information, and so will your companions. Put effort into building relationships that you can count on in good times and bad because, as the song goes, that's what friends are for. So, so look, we, we are a generation that is lonely. I, I just visited on Friday, last Friday. We just went and visited uh, my, my wife's grandmother in assisted living. Now, that should be a joyous moment. And it was. The kids enjoyed it, and they had conversations with their great-grandmother, who's in her late 90s. And, and just watching that whole thing, it was, it was so sad. Because everybody in that building seemed lonely. They have, you know, their, their health is not amazing, but it's not terrible. They're not able to get around like they used to. They, they, some of them are, are confused and, and maybe battling with some dementia. They're not able to get up out of the chair like they used to, get down to the floor with the grandkids like they used to. They're trying to hold on to past memories, but even some of those memories are fuzzy. They ask the same questions because their, their mind isn't operating like it used to. But outside of all of that, it was the loneliness. The loneliness is we're about to leave and, and hearing folks say, so am I going with you? Oh, do I just stay here? Are we going to have Thanksgiving dinner at your house? And, and watching that was heartbreaking. And then I think back that during COVID, they wouldn't even let us in the building. We literally called our kid's great-grandmother on the phone and looked at her through her window and talked to her on the phone. I guess that's better than nothing, but it's not what was needed in that moment. And so as a society and as a culture, we are gearing toward and, and leaning toward loneliness. We don't want friends. And look... I'm saying this as someone that's guilty of it, folks. I, I went just the last week with my kid to a leather working class. He's really creative and, and he wanted to work with some leather. And so we went to a class and, and I told my son, I said, look, I don't think hardly anybody's going to be here. This is a dying artwork and I think we'll probably be the only ones in the class. And Gavin, who is a very social Butterfly was like, oh, I think there'll be 10 people, Daddy. I think there'll be 10 people in this class. And we get there, and it was just me and Gavin and the teacher. And Gavin said, Daddy, you were right. There's just us. But I guess you're happy because you don't like people. That was what my son said to me. Now, it's funny, and uh, but there's some truth to that. At some point in, down the 
down the line, I've let it be known to my son that I don't want to be around people. And we can joke and I can say that I, I was born a pawpaw and, and all this and I like my time with, with, with myself and I like my time with my family. But that's not helping the, the cause of our society when, when we have folks saying, I just don't like people. I, I don't want to be around people. This past weekend, we went to Fantasy of Trees. There's hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, in downtown Knoxville at the Fantasy of Trees. Engaging with each other, interacting with each other, laughing with each other, talking to each other while you stood in line. We need community. And if we're not setting the standard for our children then what are they going to do? They're going to grow up and be lonely. Well, I have my phone. And I can watch video after video on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok and YouTube. I can be connected to all these folks, all these people that are my age, not just here locally, but all around the globe. So I'm not lonely. Sure, I sit in my my bedroom for hours on end and I don't ever see anybody face to face except... You know, maybe at school, but even at school, I don't really look them in the eye and we don't talk. We just text with each other. And even when we go out to eat, I don't look them in the eye and have a conversation. I just text with friends and we, we, you know, we're not ever present because we're constantly taking pictures, wanting to post those. So we're not present, but, but we're around each other. That's unsustainable. And then we wonder why when someone's facing an unplanned pregnancy, they don't have community. They don't have a network of friends that's going to be there for them. They don't have family. They don't have a church home. Then we wonder why they, they don't want to bring that baby into the world. And you actually hear people say, I don't want to bring my baby into the chaos that is around us today. But it's not just the chaos, it's the loneliness. And so are we going to make a, a shift in that? Are we going to be intentional in, in seeing that we're not a lonely generation, a lonely society? Are we going to make a, an effort to be with family and friends at Christmas time? Look, I'll admit, when, when people say we're having Friendsgiving, I think that's uh, corny. But the reality is, it's a great time to get together with friends. Because you need those relationships. You need that community. You need to look people in the eye and have conversations with them. It's, it's beneficial to you, to them, and to everyone. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we continue the conversation, we're, today we're looking at the loneliness epidemic. And... and and when I talk about that, there's even a great book I'll mention here in a second that, that kind of dives into this. Is we're, it's not just happening here in America. It's not just happening with the poor or the rich or white or black or urban or suburban or rural communities. It's happening across the board. All ages are, are, are lonely and, and in less relationship than, than in the past. But, but it's even more than that. The New York Times has a piece where they're looking at this as well, and it says, As Gen X and boomers age, they confront living alone. 
More older, older Americans are living by themselves than ever before. That shift presents issues on housing, health care, and personal finance. Jay Miles has lived his 52 years without marriage or children, which has suited his creative ambitions as a videographer in Connecticut, and he said his mix of, quote, independence and stubbornness, end quote, but he worries about who will take care of him as he gets older. Donna Selman, a 55-year-old college professor in Illinois, is mostly grateful to be single, she said, because her mother and aunts never had the financial and emotional autonomy that she enjoys. Mary Felder, 65, raised her children, now grown in her row house in Philadelphia. Her home has plenty of space for one person, but upkeep is expensive on the century-old house. Ms. Felder, Mr. Miles, and Ms. Selman are members of one of the country's fastest-growing demographic groups, people 50 and older who live alone. In 1960, just 13% of American households had a single occupant, but that figure has risen steadily and today is approaching 30%. For households headed by someone 50 or older, that figure is 36%. Nearly 26 million Americans 50 or older now live alone, up from 15 million in 2000. Older people have always been more likely than others to live by themselves, and now that age group, baby boomers and Gen Xers, makes up a bigger share of the population than at any time in the nation's history. The trend has also been driven by deep changes in attitudes surrounding gender and marriage. People 50-plus today are more likely than earlier generations to be divorced, separated, or never married. Women in this category have had opportunities for professional advancement, homeownership, and financial independence that were all but out of reach for previous generations of older women. More than 60% of older adults living by themselves are female. There is this huge kind of explosive social and demographic change happening, said Marcus Schaefer, a sociologist at Baylor University who studies older populations. In interviews, many older adults said they feel positively about their lives. But while many people in their 50s and 60s thrive living solo, research is unequivocal that people aging alone experience worse physical and mental health outcomes and shorter lifespans. And even with an active social and family life, people in this group are generally more lonely than those who live with others, according to Dr. Schaefer's research. Again, the data here is important. So so you can look at anecdotal evidence of somebody saying, look, I love living by myself. I love being single. It's been the greatest thing ever. I don't have any kids. I don't have anybody else to worry about. I just do me and I can travel and I can climb that career ladder and I can do what I want to do. And if I want to leave things in the sink overnight, then I can do that. If I don't want to vacuum, I can do that. If I want to have animals in the house, I can do that. No one's going to tell me otherwise. You can look at that, but then you can look at the data. And the data shows that folks that are, that are living that life statistically are, are more lonely. Health outcomes are worse. Financial situations are worse. Because that's the data. And we can't just ignore this. In many ways, the nation's housing stock has grown out of sync with these shifting demographics. Many solo adults live in homes with at least three bedrooms, census data shows, but find that downsizing is not easy because of a shortage of smaller homes in their towns and neighborhoods. Compounding the challenge of living solo, a growing share of older adults, about one in six Americans 55 and older, do not have children raising questions about how elder care will be managed in the coming decades. What will happen to this cohort, Dr. Schaefer asked. Can they continue to find other support that compensate for living alone? For many solo adults, the pandemic highlighted the challenges of aging. 
Miss Selman, the 55-year-old professor, lived in Indiana when COVID hit. Divorced for 17 years, she says she used the enforced isolation to establish new routines to stave off loneliness and depression. She quit drinking and began regularly calling a group of female friends. This year, she got a new job and moved to Illinois, in part because she wanted to live in a state that better reflected her progressive politics. She has met new friends at a farmer's market, she said, and is happier than she was before the pandemic, even though she occasionally wishes she had a romantic partner to take motorcycle rides with or just to help carry laundry up and down the stairs of her three-bedroom home. She regularly drives 12 hours round trip to care for her parents near Detroit, an obligation that has persuaded her to put away her retirement fantasy of living near the beach and move someday closer to her daughter and grandson who live in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't want my daughter to stress out about me, she said. Watching their own parents' age seems to have had a profound effect on many members of Gen X, born between 65 and 1980, who say they doubt that they can lean on the same supports that their parents did. Long marriages, pensions, homes that sometimes skyrocketed in value. When his mother died two years ago, Mr. Miles, the videographer, took comfort in moving some of her furniture into his house. It was coming. It was a coming home psychologically, he said allowing him to feel rooted after decades of cross-country moves and career explorations, shifting from the, musical, the music business to high school, teaching to producing films for nonprofits and companies. I still feel pretty indestructible, foolishly or not, he said. Still, caring for the, his divorced mother made him think about his own future. She had a government pension, security he lacks, nor does he have children. I can't call my kid, he added, the way I used to go to my mom's house to change light bulbs. His options for maintaining independence are all terrible, he said. I'm totally freaked out about it. Several Gen X solo dwellers said they had begun exploring options to live communally at the age, uh, inspired in part by living uh, arrangements they had enjoyed in college years and young adulthood. I've been talking to friends about end-of-life issues and how we might want to get together, said Patrick McComb, 56, of Michigan, a graphic artist. Being alone till the end would not be the worst thing in the world, but I would prefer to be with people. Katie Mattingly, 52, an executive secretary, bought a house in Michigan three years ago. It is small but offers plenty of space with three bedrooms. The question for her and many other single homeowners is whether they can cash, cash in when they get older. Ms. Mattingly says she did not think she would ever be able to pay down the mortgage and build wealth. It's implausible that I'll ever be able to retire, she said. Living solo in homes with three or more bedrooms sounds like a luxury, but ex experts said it is a trend driven less by personal choice than by the nation's limited housing supply. Because of zoning, construction limitations in many cities and towns, there is a nationwide shortage of homes below 1,400 square feet. And, and here's the thing. I could, I could keep going with this article. But, but it's, the, it's the reason why my mother-in-law lives with, with us. Because she was single, divorced after many years, or been divorced for many years. She was reaching retirement age. She lived in a house that she built. That had, you know, 15 or 20 acres that, that had to be maintained, a yard that had to be maintained, a house that had to be maintained. Her only daughter lived in Knoxville. That's my wife. Her grandkids lived in Knoxville. That's my kids. And so when she hit retirement, it was just a no brainer for us for, to have her move in with us. And then we have a kind of a mother in law suite detached from the house, and it's small. But that gives her her own space. But then she's engaging with our family every day. She helps homeschool our children every day.
Now, many people will see this in today's society and culture and say, that's crazy. Your, your mom can't live with you. Your dad can't live with you. Your mother-in-law can't live with you. But, but why not? Is it always roses? No. Is it always easy? No. But, but you even heard in that article in the New York Times, you heard these folks say, look, yeah, being, being alone the rest of my life may not be the worst thing, but, but I do find myself thinking about it. Even the most independent woman that climbed that career ladder, what did she say? I, I do kind of sometimes wish I had somebody I could go ride motorcycles with or just be around. You, you see, we have sold a bill of goods to, to our culture and society of put marriage off, put having kids off. And many of these folks did that, and they put it off for so long that they, they now don't feel like there was any way to come back from it. And, and so as we see our society get lonelier and lonelier, this is something that we're going to have to address. When Gen X and boomers living home alone, what does that mean? And we'll talk more about it when we come back. So as we continue today, look, again, all of these things have to do with life. So whether it be marriage, whether it be loneliness, single, single, uh, singles living alone into their 60s and 70s, with no family, but, but also one thing that we have to factor into this is, is a lot of times my generation will come in and go, oh, well, well, you know, our parents, our grandparents, you know, paid $10,000 for a home that I'm having to pay $300,000 for today. And so, of course, they were able to make it. Of course, they were able to maintain. But, but it's not that simple. It all goes back to the conversation I had with my granddad right, right before I got married. I, I got engaged when I was 21. Now, many people thought that was too young. I was still in college. Uh, my wife was still in college. And, and even I was interning in Nashville, and, and some of the, the other interns were like, seriously, you're getting married now? How do you know? How do you know that that's the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with? Like, how do you know? You're just 21. And, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess – Really, we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know for sure. My parents were married for 22 years and divorced. So I guess at some point in time, they thought that that was going to be the forever marriage. But one thing that my wife and I discussed was we were not going to let divorce be a part of our vocabulary. We were making a choice in that moment at 21 years old. Forever, I pick you. But I had a conversation with my granddad because at that moment, my wife and I were looking for homes. And of course, I didn't want to rent. I wanted to buy something. I didn't have a lot of money. My, my family didn't, you know, my family was middle class, but they didn't have like a, uh, you know, a nest egg put aside for me to like, hey, go buy a house, go put a down payment on a home. You know, I had to work since I was 15 years old. And, and so, but we were looking for a home and uh, we found a home and we ended up buying that home. Uh, I was selling insurance at a bank and, and it didn't really need a down payment. And they just gave me a, a loan for some reason. They, they probably shouldn't have. Um, and so we bought that house. Our first house was $60,000, a thousand square feet over an acre uh, yard there in Lewisburg, Tennessee. And, and seriously, the mortgage payment was, it was all I could do to pay that. And $60,000, 
I mean, in the grand scheme, that house has probably doubled or tripled in value at this point. But I remember sitting down with my granddad and, and talking to him about all this and how much things were. And, you know, I, I wanted this house and I want this truck and we want to take this trip. And, and our honeymoon was going to be on this cruise and, and talking through all these things. We didn't have money to do any of that stuff. Oh, but I could get credit cards and I could get loans and we could use our student loans to, uh, you know, we could cash those out. And, and my granddaddy looked at me and he said, you know, he, he calls me Drew. He said, Drew, you know, your problem is. Uh, and, and when he said your, he was meaning, you know, my generation. He said, the, the problem with your generation is you want everything that, that me and your grandmama has, that we have spent 50 years accumulating. We've spent 50 years building wealth. We've spent 50 years taking care of things. We've spent 50 years choosing not to go on that trip. We've spent 50 years being frugal. We've spent 50 years making good decisions. You want what we've taken 50 years to build, and you want it now at 21 years old. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head of like, oh, he's, he's right. We want to live the life that they're living currently and they've spent 50 years building this life. And then I look at my grandma and papa, my, my, my dad's parents, who were farmers. My grandma never worked outside of the home. They farmed. My, my, my papa was a dairy farmer. My papa wore the same clothes my entire life. My grandma made her own dresses. They grew their food. They built wealth. My papa never left the state of Tennessee. They didn't travel. Now, now, many in our society would say, what a terrible, terrible life they lived. What do they have to show for their 97 years on this earth? Never leaving Tennessee. Never leaving, except maybe once or twice, Cornersville, Tennessee, a small rural community. But you see, to them, that's all they needed. They were with their friends and with their family. They had roots. But you see, my generation comes in, and what, what are we told all through school? You've got to get that degree. Go see the world. Go see the, the country. Go move somewhere. Move away from your parents. Look, and, and, and us moving to Knoxville away from my parents was the best thing that we could have done for our marriage. So, so don't hear me in saying that you never should leave. What I'm saying is roots matter. And so one thing that we have to think through and think about is that the generations before us, for the most part, didn't really leave, at least, at least in our rural communities where I grew up in. When, when I go back to the Walmart in, in Lewisburg, Tennessee, I see a lot of the same people that I grew up with because they didn't leave. And that's okay. And you know what? Most of those people aren't lonely. My brother still lives on the family farm. And at Thanksgiving, they had over 30 people over to their house. Friends, not family. Why? Because there's roots there. There's friendships there. There's relationship there. There's community there. And somewhere along the way, we have decided to throw shade at that as if that is... Uh, a nonsensical way of life. 
and, and, and frankly, there, there's going to be in the next 10 years a, a reckoning of what this is. The next 10, 20, 30 years, what does that look like? You know, we got married at, at 22 years old. We have four kids. We homeschool. Our mother, my mother-in-law lives with me. We in, interact and engage with our family often. Because it's important. Could we do better? Certainly. And, and maybe you're listening to this going, you don't understand, I don't have that family. I don't have a family structure. I don't have a mom and dad and grandma and grandpa that I can go back to to, to seek wisdom. I don't have brothers and sisters. And, and I understand not everybody has that, but do you have, are you seeking out, are you intentionally looking to build relationships in the community that you call home? So are you doing that at church? Are you doing that at work? Are you doing that in your neighborhood? Are you building real meaningful relationships outside of social media, outside of the Internet? Yeah, you know, I heard a comedian say the other day that, that sometimes when he, when he comes off the stage, people come up to him and they act as if they know him because they watch all his videos. And he's like, you don't know me. But, but because we're so, we're so uh, attached from the social media, we feel as if we know these folks. But we don't know them. That's not real community. That's not real relationship. How many of those folks, if, you're, if you have a flat on the side of the road, are going to come change your tire or offer assistance? If you have a tree fall in your yard, are they going to come over and help you? How many of those folks are going to carry your casket one day? You see, these are things that we need to wrestle with as a society. Now, now society would say, well, we'll just use science to fix all this. And the Christian will say, no, community comes from a, a biblical worldview and a gospel focus that, that even in, in the Garden of Eden, God understood that, that Adam needed a partner to complement him. And so we see this as gospel people that, that know this is the community we need, that we are to grow together, to serve together, to worship together. And that means that we have to engage with each other intentionally, look each other in the eye, have conversations. This past weekend I was working on I have, I have a trailer that has issues with lights. And if you've ever worked on trailer lights, it is, it is infuriating. And so as I'm out there rewiring my trailer to, to make sure the lights work, I'm calling my stepdad. Because of what, what he gave me when I was a young man in teaching me how to do things, he's my go-to. So I'm FaceTiming with him. I'm having conversations with him. And I told him later, after I got it all taken care of and fixed, I said, you know, sometimes it's just nice to talk it through out loud with somebody else. Do you have people in your life that you can do that with? Whether it be a dad, a stepdad, a friend, a brother. 
hey, I just need to talk this out with somebody. And you know what? What happened was we were talking about wiring a trailer, and then we started talking about life. And then wisdom is passed down to the next generation. And then when I am in my 70s, am I passing wisdom down to the generation behind me? Right now, am I passing wisdom down and advice down to my son, to my daughters? Are we being intentional about what we're passing down to our kids? And and then my generation has to understand that we need to ask for help. That we don't need to just go this alone. So as we see loneliness increase, as we see people now living alone longer than they have in the past, and generations starting to go, I don't know if I had the right plan. What am I doing? What is that wisdom and message that we're sending to the generations behind us? Are we being intentional in that? We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up today, look, the, the goal today was not to just depress everybody with, oh, we're, you know, we're all lonely, we're going to die alone, we're, we have nobody. And that, that's not the goal. The goal is to recognize what's happening around us. And folks, let's be honest, we, we, we can't recognize what's happening around us if our face is always pointing at our phone. Like, like we have to understand that, that life is more than that, that there was a life before smartphones. I know it's crazy. It's insane. But, but as I was at the Fantasy of Trees this past weekend, I saw so many folks sitting, sitting there, sitting on a bench, sitting in line, walking around, staring at their phones. You got young kids around just... They love to see the Christmas trees, to ride the carousels, to, to do all the things that, that they're doing. And parents and grandparents just staring at their phone. Not engaged. I mean, you don't think it's convicting for me when my kid picks up a calculator and acts like it's a smartphone and then just sits there poking around on it, staring at it? Where is she picking that up at? From me. Right, so, so as, we're, as we're trying to, to figure out ways to, to make our society sustain itself, but not just sustain, but flourish, we need to be connected. And look, I know there's introverts listening to this going, ah, you, you don't understand. I don't need to be in a large group of people. I'm not, you don't have to be in a large group of people. But, but who do you have community with? And maybe some of you listening to this look like, I'm, I got this covered. I, I'm with my family all the time. I'm, I'm going out with friends all the time. I'm always with people. Yeah, like, that, like some of us are, are there. But I would bet, looking at these numbers, most of us are not. And the trend line, the trend line before COVID, the trend line during COVID, and the trend line after COVID is going in the wrong direction. Again, we are the most connected we've ever been as a society. 
because of smartphones and social media and, and the like. But we are the loneliest, most medicated. We're having less kids, less marriages, more divorces. And so as we're seeing these things, you, you have people going, look, I have no retirement. I'm living alone. What, what am I going to do if, if my house floods and I need help? What am I going to do? You, you heard out of that New York Times article, a guy was like, you know, I go and help my mom change a light bulb or do things at the house, but I don't have any kids. So when I'm 70 or 80, who am I going to call? You know, who's going to pop in for me? Who's going to just come visit? You know, my granddaddy used to say, when I'd go sit and, and spend some time with him before I would leave, he would say, come back when you can stay longer. He would always say that, come back when you can stay longer. Because he enjoyed being around his grandson. He enjoyed being around people, sitting in a recliner, sitting out on the patio, sitting in a rocking chair, and just talking. Just talking and, and being around others and, and not arguing about the news of the day or politics or where, where you line up on this. No, just, just being around each other. It matters. And so as we approach Christmas, and we're, we're almost into the month of December, as we approach Christmas, what are we going to do between now and the end of the year to make sure that we're intentional in, in, in the community? Whether that be with family, whether that be with friends, why, why are we, what are we going to do? Who are we reconnecting with? Why, why is Hallmark so successful in their movies? You know, and people people want to want to hate on on the movies all the time. Well, it's the same story. You know, they're going to have a big fight, then they're going to eventually connect at the end, and they're, they're, it's going to end with a kiss, and and all is well. Oh, it's a you know somebody goes back to their small town, and they find their long lost boyfriend or girlfriend, and then, you know all is well. We connect with that because deep down, I think we do desire that. Oh, the thought of going back to our roots and reconnecting. There's something intriguing about that. And it's a story that always works. Because it's our story. And, and so between now and the end of the year, let's be intentional about that. Be intentional about putting your phone down. Being engaged at home. Being engaged when you're at that Christmas dinner. Or that, that Christmas function. Put your phone down. Enjoy each other's company. I promise you won't regret that. We'll talk to you next week.